Hey, real quick, a praise, uh, and you can continue to pray about this uh, before we get into the message tonight. As of tonight, we have 107 people registered for the Revelation Seminar. So with three weeks to go, I'm figuring we're going to come in somewhere between 130 and 150 people for the Revelation Seminar. So that's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty cool. Right here. Yeah, right here. And uh, you can sign up on Sunday. Just get those Revelation postcards. They'll be on the information table. You can call. You can go to the uh, website or you can uh, just sign up. And if you're bringing guests, again, we need to make sure we're coming because a couple of the gals in church are actually catering this lunch and it's going to be delicious. But we need to know how many people are coming so that we can plan on such a delicious lunch. All right. Psalm 123, again, we are looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, this Psalm, 123, is another Psalm where they are journeying to Jerusalem. They are going up in elevation. They are journeying to a higher place. And they're not only doing that physically, but obviously they want to do that spiritually. And we talked throughout these psalms, they are trying to draw us up, draw us to the Lord, draw us up higher to be with Him. The psalm tonight is only four verses, but it divides out into, I think, nicely three sections. And we're actually going to go backwards. That's how Pastor Jeff's mind works, right? Um, But in this psalm, we're going to see tonight the pursuit of the psalmist, the petition of the psalmist, and the problem of the psalmist. Just follow along as I read these four verses tonight before we get into Psalm 123. And again, I would title this, Getting Things Into Focus. I look up toward you, the one enthroned in heaven. Look as the eyes of your servants look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a female servant look to the hand of her mistress or queen. So my eyes will look to the Lord, our God, until He shows us favor. Show us favor, O Lord. Show us favor. For we have had our fill of humiliation and then some. We have had our fill of the taunts of the self-assured, of the contempt of the proud. Now let's not miss this really sort of dynamic setting here because it, it, it's very relevant and practical to our spiritual life. Here's somebody, we don't know who this is, an anonymous psalmist, who has written this and they are either in Jerusalem or on their way and they are so passionate and just can't wait to worship the Lord. And yet, Surrounding them, there's all this contempt. There are all these people around them who do not share their passion for worship. Who make fun of them, if you will. Who are not on their way to Jerusalem with them. And we don't even actually know who they are. You know, could they be family members? Could they be friends? Could they be, obviously, fellow Israelites? Could they be 
pagans. We don't necessarily know, but the important thing to know from this is this. You and I, as we grow in our desire to grow near to God and pursue spiritual growth and to go up higher and and to have a passion for worship and all these things, we've got to realize something. That many times we're going to be like that salmon swimming upstream. Not everybody around us is going to share that same passion and desire that we have. And are we going to be able to stay the course and continue to be as excited and passionate about the things of God, even if we are surrounded by those that don't share that same passion? And I, I want to sort of pick these words apart because they're, he's, he or she's painting a really vivid picture here. First of all, at the end or sort of the bottom half of verse 3, we have had our fill of humiliation. We, we have been despised. We have been re- disrespected. We have been shown contempt. And then he says, and then some. And the words in the Hebrew speak about actually being weary of being disrespected and humiliated, if you will, and despised. I mean, think about it. They're trying to worship the Lord. They're trying to go up higher, and yet people are showing them contempt and disdain. They don't share that same passion. They may be laughing at them. They may be saying, oh, you're wasting your time you're going to church again tonight, or you're actually trying to get to church at 10 o'clock and be there for worship and the Word, you know. You're, you're coming in from the table out there in the lobby, and you're going to join us and really get excited about worship. Not everybody does. And then in verse 4, we have had our fill, an abundance. We've dealt with this long enough. The taunts. Of the self-assured. The taunts speak about the mocking and scoffing. And and I love the words, this word self-assured. It speaks about one who is arrogant. One who views himself as above it all. You ever met somebody like that? It's like they can't be touched. Nothing affects them. Or at least they portray it that way. You know, we've got everything under control. I don't need God. You're such a needy person and it, you always feel like you need God and you, know, you, you need to go to church and you need to read your Bible and you need to worship God and praise Him and all this. And that there are those, even sometimes, who call themselves Christians who seem above it all. And then... They say, we've had our fill of the taunts of the self-assured, of the contempt, of the condescension, condescension, and disdain of the haughty or proud. That's the problem. That's the context, if you will, of the psalmist here, you see. And, and that's the reality. You know, not everybody in this world, it, it reminds us that even as a Christian, 
that we're not going to be, in a sense, the, the majority in this world. So if we've got this, you know, heart and passion for God and for worship and, you know, to get to the house of God and be with God's people, not everybody's going to share that. And are we going to be able to sort of, you know, not focus on all the naysayers, if you will, all those who are complacent and and apathetic and do not share in that, is that going to affect us? Are we going to be able to stay the course? Well, I think the key is going to be to keep our focus where it needs to be. We'll get to that in just a moment. But after you see the problem here and what's going on, notice the petition in verse 3. Show us favor, O Lord. Show us favor. And then you'll notice in verse 2, the psalmist talks about keeping their eyes on the Lord until God shows us favor. One of the things that I want to point out here is that what you see here, even in this petition, is a struggle. Because it's like, obviously you see this from the words of even the problem. We've had our fill It's been long enough, you know, and then some. In other words, what the psalmist is painting for us here is they've been dealing with this for a long, long time. And it's, again, it's sort of wearing them down and they're getting weary of it. So they go to the Lord and they're petitioning the Lord. They're praying to the Lord saying, Lord, show us favor. Show us favor. Show us favor. And... We have to realize that prayer can be a struggle. That we may not automatically get an immediate response from God, you see. And we've got to be willing to go to battle in prayer and realize that like many things in the Christian life, our prayer life can become a battlefield. And we've got to be willing to persevere and push through and continue to petition God and look to the Lord until He shows us favor. What does the word favor mean? Well, it means a lot. It's it's a very rich word. It means to be merciful, to be gracious or compassionate. So the psalmist is saying, God, be merciful. Be gracious unto me. Be compassionate. It also means one to incline themselves toward someone. In other words, he's saying, God, lean into me or lean towards me as I lean towards you. But I like this one the best. It means to bend or stoop in kindness. And it also means to move on behalf of one. In other words, the psalmist is saying, God, would you move on behalf of me in some way? Would you just move? Would you do something? Would you bend down and stoop down and be kind to me in the midst of all of this contempt and disdain and disrespect? Because God, I'm just trying to worship you and I'm just trying to go higher. 
Show me favor, God. Show me favor. Now, a couple things about this. Number one, let's remember this. When God does show us favor, it is at the expense of the one who took contempt and humiliation and shame upon himself for you and I. We are able to get the favor of God because of the disrespect and disdain that Jesus himself took in our place. Let's be reminded of this. I'm just going to turn here because I just this just popped into my head. I just want to read a couple verses from that great passage in Isaiah 53 talking about the Lord. It says, He was despised and rejected by people, one who experienced pain and was acquainted with illness. People hid their faces from Him. He was despised and we considered Him insignificant. But He lifted up our illnesses. He carried our pain. Even though we thought He was being punished, attacked by God, and afflicted for something He had done. He was wounded because of our rebellious deeds, crushed because of our sins. He endured punishment that made us well, and because of His wounds, we have been healed. All of us have wandered off like sheep. Each of us strayed off on His own path, but the Lord caused the sin of all of us to attack Him. He was treated harshly and afflicted, but He did not even open up his mouth, like a lamb led to the slaughtering block, like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not even open up his mouth. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 7. When God shows us favor, let's remember it comes again at the expense of the one who took contempt and humiliation, and was disrespected and disregarded for us. That's one thing. The second thing I want us to see tonight is that in our petitioning of God, there's always this struggle, and it it always has to do with God's timing, doesn't it? Because a key word in verse 2 of Psalm 123 is the word until... My eyes will look to the Lord our God until He shows us favor. I'm going to just keep petitioning the Lord until He moves on my behalf. Until He inclines Himself towards me. Until He bends and stoops down and helps me in some way in the midst of all of this contempt. And that's, that's really one of the biggest issues that we struggle with as believers, is always with God's timing of things rather than our timing. And that's where the psalmist is. Show us favor, God. Now, I also, though, want you to notice this. You'll notice in the midst of all of this contempt, this problem that the psalmist is dealing with, that he petitions the Lord, but he doesn't or she doesn't 
attack those who are attacking them. Let me repeat that. Their response is not to lower themselves to the level of their attackers. They do not attack their attackers. They take the matter to the Lord and lay it at His feet and let Him deal with it. It's exactly what Paul says we as Christians should do in situations like that. Let me read you these verses really quick from the book of Romans. Chapter 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Romans 12, 18, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, in this context of asking God to show us favor and inclining Himself and moving in some way, let's remember the different ways that God can show us favor in a situation like this. Because sometimes we're very sort of tunnel vision and we only see God's favor sort of being displayed in the way we want to see it displayed. In the crushing of our enemy. But there's several ways where God could show us favor. First of all, God could show us favor by relieving the contempt. In some way, by stopping the contempt. Obviously. And He could do that. That's one way God can show us favor in a situation like this. Okay? But there's another way God can show us favor. God can give us the strength to bear up under the contempt. In other words, not going to take the contempt away, not going to take the persecution away, but He shows favor by giving me strength to be able to bear up under it and endure it. That's the way God shows favor. Another way God can show favor to me is by changing the heart of my enemy. He could if they allow Him to, change their heart. Or, and this may be the least one that we like, if we're honest, the other way He can show us favor is when God changes our heart towards our enemy. Just as Paul talked about in the book of Romans. If your enemy does this, do this. Which is why Jesus said, my people have the spiritual capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit living within them to love their enemies and to do good to those who despitefully abuse them. That's power. So I want to make sure that before we leave this and we go to the very first point, that we realize that, yes, the psalmist has a problem. 
He or she's trying to worship the Lord and go up higher, but there's all these naysayers around who do not share their passion for the Lord or worshiping the Lord like they do. And yet, we need to continue to be like them and pursue the Lord in spite of maybe not having everyone around us share that same passion that we have. And I will say this. When you do find a few people in your life that share that, God bless them and God bless you. Stick with each other and keep on trucking. Second, in the midst of the problem, the psalmist is giving us a great example. They do not attack their attackers. They take the situation to the Lord and petition Him. Say, God, show me favor. Show me favor. And remember, even in Psalm 23, the psalmist says, God has the ability to lay out a great banquet for me in the midst of my enemies. He can spread that table before me even in the midst of my enemies. Because let's remember something, that in this world, as we talk about a lot, we are in hostile territory, and we will be until we go to heaven, because that's where our homeland is. Our homeland is not here on this earth. The earth is under the control of Satan. He is the God of this world. Therefore, we should not feel at home here. Take it to the Lord in prayer, the old hymn said. And then we come to the very first couple verses of the psalm, where we see the pursuit of the psalmist. And the first verse of Psalm 123 really parallels the first verse of Psalm 121. That says, I look up toward the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. Notice in Psalm 123, I look up toward you, the one enthroned in heaven. Now, this isn't the only definition of prayer, but I want to give you a really simple definition of prayer tonight. And it's found in the first phrase of Psalm 123. I look up toward you. That's a great, simple definition of prayer. I look up to you, God. I lift up my eyes to you. And this is really all about his pursuit or her pursuit of God. Because notice the word toward. That word means to denote motion to or direction towards something. So it's not just a picture of someone literally like just lifting up their head and looking. It's a matter of motion, of going forward. Here's a person who says, I want a need to draw near to you, God. I'm coming, God. Because I'm in the midst of all of these enemies and I'm in the midst of all this contempt and disrespect and everything. I need you, God. I need to draw into you. It reminds me so much of that great verse in Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower or refuge or stronghold and the righteous run into it and are set safely on high. The psalmist is pursuing God here and keeping their eyes focused on the Lord. Psalm 123 verse 1 is the Old Testament parallel of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 about running the race of endurance and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, verse 2 of 
Hebrews 12, the verse we just looked at several weeks ago in our study of Hebrews. And I love this. I look up toward you, the one enthroned in heaven. The one sitting, remaining, dwelling, set in heaven. What he's saying there is, and we just sang about it tonight, God reigns. I've got to keep my eye on the God who reigns. I've got to keep pressing in and pursuing the God who is always and forever will be on His throne. I can't get caught up in all these people down here who do not share my passion for the One who is enthroned in heaven. No one will ever take His place. He will always be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is set there. And I've got to get my eyes off of the circumstances and all of these things swirling around down here on this earth. And I've got to keep my focus on the one who reigns all time. I think the psalmist is telling us here, we must remove from our thoughts any and every limitation that makes God too small. We must remove from our thoughts every notion that somehow makes God too small in our lives. See, we've got to remember that God is great. He's the Almighty. He is enthroned in heaven. And so often, the reason why things on earth become so big to us is because God has become too small to us. When God stays big, then everything else pales in comparison to the one enthroned in heaven. And what, where that battle is, is really in our mind. It's, it's constantly keeping our mind on who God is and keeping Him big in our lives. The God that nothing is too difficult, nothing is impossible for, the God who is reigning and ruling no matter what's going on on earth. You know, again, even as Christians, I, I hear so many Christians who just, they're constantly freaking out by every little thing that's going on here in the world or in our country. And I'm like, do you somehow think God has abdicated His throne and He's not ruling and reigning anymore? Like He's not in control? Like somehow He's up there just wringing His hands and just wondering, oh my goodness, what's going on? How am I going to deal with this? How? No. No. He's got everything under control. Everything. There's nothing outside of his sovereignty or control. As the psalmist says in other places, there's nowhere I can go outside of God. There, there's nowhere in the universe I can go where he's not there. And not ruling and reigning. So tonight, before you go to sleep, maybe it will help your sleep tonight to just, as you lay your head on that pillow, to remember... I know the God who is enthroned in heaven. 
He reigns. He rules in the affairs of men. And so I love verse 2, too. He says, look, behold, certainly, surely, as the eyes of a servant looks to the hand of their master. What a great picture. And then he talks about female servants. As the eyes of a female servant look to the hand of her Net Bible translates it badly here. I think it's not mistress, it's queen, it's ruler. So my eyes will look to the Lord. Remember the story of Esther? Esther didn't know how it was going to go with her when she went into the king. And in those days, this is a very vivid picture the king would raise their hand or the queen would raise her hand and by whichever direction their hand moved, that was the fate that fell on those. Or it could be that they were looking at the way the hand of their sovereign was moving as far as to show them direction or to tell them what to do and where to go. And so I love that. It's, It's a picture of who we should be that as we look at the one enthroned in heaven, we are that humble servant that says, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? You just, you just move. You just, you just show me what to do and I'm there. But I'm always going to keep looking to see where you will direct me and where you will guide me and where you want me to go. In the midst of all of this contempt, That's getting things into focus. I think one of our greatest struggles as Christians is exactly what is being described here in verse 2. So my eyes will look to the Lord our God until He shows us favor. I won't take my eyes off of you, God. I won't take my eyes. I will keep you in focus in my life. I'm not going to get my eyes looking over here or over there. I'm not going to get caught up in this or that. I'm going to keep my focus on the one who is enthroned in heaven. By the way, the word God there speaks about the great and mighty God. Just like the one enthroned in heaven. And then obviously you see throughout the psalm, as you see in many of the psalms, the name Jehovah, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the self-existent, eternal God. I mean, all these terms and names for God are just exalting the majesty of who He is. And this is the one that everyone is headed to Jerusalem to worship. This is the one they are going to bow before and, and, and sing to and serve. And yet, As they're on their way, maybe even they're there in Jerusalem, but they're on their way to the temple. They hear the calls of those who are laughing, mocking, scoffing them, disrespecting them, saying that what they're doing is a total waste of time. They do not share their passion for the Lord or worship of Him. Our response should be, Twofold, just as the psalmist. 
When we find ourselves in situations and seasons of life like that, we need to petition the Lord. Not attack our attackers, but ask the Lord to intervene and move on our behalf. Whether that's, again, to get rid of the contempt, relieve it, whether that's to give us strength to bear up under it, whether that's to change the heart of the attacker, our enemy, or change our heart towards our enemy, God will eventually move in some way. But until that happens, the psalmist also says, I will keep looking unto you. I won't take my eyes off of you, Lord. The one enthroned in heaven. God reigns. Let's keep our eyes on Him. Even tomorrow. Let me give you this before we close. And is that rain? Okay, let's stay till it stops. No. When, when you wake up tomorrow, I'd like to encourage you to wake up with this verse. Verse 1 of Psalm 123. I look up toward you, the one enthroned in heaven. As soon as your eyes open in the morning, think about that verse. I'm going to look up to you, God. The great and mighty God. The one who reigns and rules. That's who I'm going to look to. Hey, i got a couple minutes. So turn over with me to the book of Isaiah. This is good stuff. It's all good stuff, but, you know. Psalm, uh, Psalm. Isaiah 40. If you want a passage to go to that really keeps God great and doesn't fill our thoughts with a small God, but keeps Him big, I would always encourage you to go to Isaiah chapter 40 and begin at verse 12. Just follow along. Who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand or carefully measured the sky or carefully weighed the soil of the earth or weighed the mountains in a balance or the hills on scales? Who comprehends the mind of the Lord or gives him instruction as his counselor? From whom does he receive directions? Who teaches him the correct way to do things or imparts knowledge to him or instructs him in skillful design? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He lifts the coastlands as if they were dust. Not even Lebanon could supply enough firewood for a sacrifice. Its wild animals would not provide enough burnt offerings. All the nations are insignificant before him. They are regarded as absolutely nothing. To whom can you compare God? To what image can you liken Him? A craftsman casts an idol. A metalsmith overlays it with gold and forges silver chains for it. To make a contribution, one selects wood that will not rot. He then seeks a skilled craftsman to make an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you since the very beginning? Have you not understood from the time the earth's foundations were made? He is the one who sits on the earth's horizon. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers before him. 
He is the one who stretches out the sky like a thin curtain and spreads it out like a pitched tent. He is the one who reduces rulers to nothing. He makes the earth's leaders insignificant. Indeed, they are barely planted. Yes, they are barely sown. Yes, they barely take root in the earth. And then he blows on them, causing them to dry up. And the wind carries them away like straw. To whom can you compare me? Whom do I resemble, says the Holy One? Look up at the sky. Who created all these heavenly lights? He is the one who leads out their ranks. He calls them all by name. Because of his absolute power and awesome strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, Jacob, why do you say, Israel, the Lord is not aware of what is happening to me? My God is not concerned with my vindication. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth? He does not get tired or weary. There is no limit to his wisdom. He gives strength to those who are tired. To the ones who lack power, he gives renewed energy. Even youths get tired and weary. Even strong young men clumsily stumble. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank You for being so great. Greater than, Lord, our minds can even begin to fathom. And yet so often, in the scrum of life on earth, we allow earthly things to block the greatness that is You. Earthly things become bigger than You are in our life. Problems become bigger than You Situations become bigger than even you can handle, God, in our minds. And we are sorry and repent of that. God, we need to remove every thought in our mind that sets any kind of limitation on you, God. That reduces you in any way to being smaller than the great God that you are. May we be encouraged tonight, God, as we lift up our eyes and look to you, the one forever enthroned in heaven. Thank you, God, for being a refuge for your people. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.